Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. After the madness of Ordway, a, uh, a return guest, Richard Deitch of Sports Illustrated, the media critic who's been part of the Kirk and Callahan show and is a serious, we text each other, he's a serious P1 now. This is what happens to these guys. They get a little whiff of it. They come on the show, and then it takes over their lives. What I liked about this episode, though, it was actually honest. Unlike the last two episodes. Oh, the Ordway's bullshit, you mean? Bullshit, oh, Ordway. Oh, let me hear it. Jesus ahead. Christ. Okay. It you're, drives... coming, you're coming a little loud here, by the way. Sorry about that. It drives me Relax. nuts. I was screaming I'm a little fired up about Ordway. It drives me nuts that he always says, we finished first. We, we won. We were number one in that book when we beat Felgrimes. That's not true. Yeah, you were like third, right? We finished second. ZLX okay. beat the both of us. Well, but I, but, but I understand the, the overall larger That's point, That's not though. what he's saying, though. But if they beat Felgrimes three or four times in a row, they would, they would have fired him. Uh, yeah, absolutely not. Well, I thought the Ordway, I told Holly said in the show, I thought the Ordway and Holly show kind of sucked. It, it was not very good. Yeah, I don't was... think either one of them were really bought in. It's not Glenn's strength. Glenn needs two people to work right. with so he can play the puppet master role. And uh, there was plenty of times where Michael was just completely checked out. What other bullshit was in the, the Ordway thing? That was it? Uh, no, it just... He he drives me nuts. I think, he, I think he's like OJ, though. I think he believes it, you know? Like, oh, he, he absolutely yeah. like, he's believes He's not lying. It. He's, he's full of shit, but he's not lying. Okay, that's completely fair. Right. But it, he just drives me nuts sometimes. And I love the guy. I absolutely love him. He brought me in. He's the reason I'm here. But he just drives me batshit crazy with some of the stuff. And then it, I'm surprised you guys actually didn't get into more of the um, Big Show Unfiltered and some of the controversy that is drummed up from there with Pete Shepard. That's true. We could have done that. We definitely could have done that. It's a good point. So I had Ordway interrupting me for two weeks. So I decided if somebody come on who never interrupts me, Richard Deitch. He just doesn't let you talk. <laughs> he, just, he doesn't interrupt you. I like Deitch. He's, a, he's, he's your typical obnoxious New Yorker who doesn't shut up. He's got his opinions. Uh, and he lets it go. And he was great when he was on with us. We'll have him on again. I always like having him on. Uh, we, I disagree with him on almost everything, but yet I find him entertaining. He's honest. He's good on Twitter. Is, do you listen to his podcast? I listen from time to time. I did listen to the Conrad Thompson one that gets mentioned in this yeah. episode, and it's really good. Yeah, no, he, when he has a guest on that, yeah, right. He, if, if he's a guest on Mitch, then I listen to it, and he does a good job. He came on here again, did a good job about an hour long. Is that right? Uh, just 55 minutes. Cover a lot of stuff. Obviously, ESPN. We actually talk about our show as well. We kind of get, what else do we cover here? Well, you talk about some of the news that's come out media-wise, like Katie Nolan potentially going. It, right. Which I don't, of, I don't see that happening in any way, shape, or form. For a fact, though. No. Uh, for a fact, no, but I do know the executive producer absolutely loves her over there. And when go back to Super Bowl week. She had a great argument, a great debate with Chris Carter, and she's blasting him over the Patriots. Yeah. That's what he loves. That's what yeah. he wants. So he's going to put her in a more prominent role debating and we get into the stuff with our show and the rest of the station versus espn deitch has been out in front of that it's a good one. it's a good hour conversation with richard deitch who's always one of our favorite guests we'll have him on the kirk and callian show again soon as richard deitch he's the guest this week on enough about me you know when i started this podcast i thought i'll have different people on every week and as i learned that's not so easy so we've had some of the great minds in the business on multiple times one is chris curtis 
another is Chad Finn, and now Richard Deitch. You know, I followed his model. He has fucking Jimmy Tramie and John Ulrand on friggin' three out of every four weeks, so I figured I'd just do what you do. Yeah, that's a little bit of an overstatement. Oh, first of all, I appreciate the invite. Always good to be uh, on with one of the people who sets the dialogue for Why don't? the city of, city of Boston. Let, first of all, before we, get, before we get into anything that I do, yeah. Trina, but for, Trina and Orrand are not on every week. They're, I'd say they're on once every four weeks. I actually but like I, 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 I like when they're on. It's better than when you have, you know, like your, your Muslim roundtable or some, you know, WNBA sideline reporter or whatever. You know, you're just patting yourself on the back. Right, okay. Well, before we get into yeah. Callahan and pandering, I always need an update from you. Go ahead. On who is at the top of the Minahan hate list now that Ooh. Bart Hubbock has moved on. Ever is, since is I finished Bart Hubbock? Bomani Jones, Charlotte Wilde. I don't hate Evan, I don't hate Evan Drellick. Drellick. See, this is what I admire about Drellick versus, say, a Bomani or ESPN. Drellick didn't like the fact that we criticized him, so he came on you know, last week down to Fort Myers and fought with us. That's all I want is that's why we like you. Is a good fight, and that's what Drellick did. These ESPN guys, whether they're told to, which I don't think the case is the case, or uh, are afraid to do it, will not fight. They will not engage. I don't know if that's you know the playbook or what. Feels like it. Well, let me ask you about Drellick. Is yeah. that is the I animus might be too strong, but was the was it truly heated, or is this basically a work? That you two are doing in the ring, like John Cena and AJ. So. Uh, no, no, I believe in that parlance. That would be a shoot. Drellick was right. Drellick was mad because, uh, like we said, you know, we, we make fun of what we do is we make fun of the beat guys because they're for the team. And I would always call Drellick dickless and all that. And I think, like, it was more. Yeah, I wonder why he was mad. <laughs> it was. It was more like I wasn't angry at him. I had no issue with him. He was angry at us, and he came in, and his hands were literally shaking. It was great. It was an awesome forty. It was forty minutes. Of rage that never stopped. It was so fantastic. My thing with Drellick is, like, how do you top that? Like, if you want to be part... Like, I almost feel like these guys now are also auditioning for the couch, you know? So I don't know how you continue to do that. I mean, you know, as a as a casted couch veteran, it's not easy. Well, there's no way that you can keep up that kind of intensity five days a week. One of the things I think that's been really smart, and trust me, I haven't liked everybody on that couch at all. Ooh, 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 who haven't you liked? Go ahead. It's a little bit too much now with Alex Reimer. I think I feel like he's you're such a you're to, such a you're such a homophobe as always. I'm not surprised. Right. He's trying. I actually like the fact that he's very honest about his sexuality. That I like about him. But I feel like the Gronk column and some other stuff isn't he trying to? He, he seems like he's trying to get a little bit of buzz for himself. Which I guess I can't blame him. But you would even agree it's a little bit of a PR PR campaign for himself. How can you take a shot at Gronk, who is nothing more than? He doesn't hurt anybody. He's just a fun-loving guy. You may think he's goofy or dopey, but, I mean, it seems like there are so many other people who are really annoying in the sport. Well, a couple of things. Number one, it's February, right? So you got to find something. I, the, the knock I hear on Reamer a lot. Why not, who some, I, why not some WNBA stuff? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I agree with you on that. I get a lot from Re- people think Reamer is trying to be like me. That's what I get a lot of, is, yes. which, you know, is a, is a hell of a goal to have, but I, I'm not. Uh, isn't, he, isn't Callahan taking it? Am I, 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 taking I it what? Update. I have to. I have to get the email updates from Trenny, but isn't Callahan taking him under his wing a little bit as a mentor, mentee, or my? No, I think no. I think or does that, Callahan have somebody else in the? No, state? Jerry. No, I don't. Think, I don't think that's really the case. We we like Alex. I think. Uh, I think Jerry's getting a little tired of Alex, honestly. But if you want to get wow. if you want to get full off the air gossipy, I think if Alex went away for a couple of weeks, maybe if Pence could sign him up to like you know one of those re-education camps for six weeks or something, I think Jerry would be okay with that. Right now. <laughs> Right now, you know, for the re-education. By the way, yeah. in terms of, I do like the fact that uh, Alex 
He's, I think he's like 27 or something like that. He's no, hustling, if that, trying yeah. to get his name out there. Even if I disagree with some of his takes, I like the fact that he's uh, he's grinding. Uh, how was your experience? Uh, you were here for a couple of hours. We want to have you back. I don't know where Curtis is on that. You'll be back with us, I'm sure, at some point. You did a couple hours with us a few months ago. Did you like it? Did you uh, did, enjoy yeah, the experience? Yeah. Well, yeah, you got I, great. I, you got good feedback too. I did get really good feedback. Uh, well, listen, the one thing that I that's very clear with your show, and by the way, I did my research on that before. You know, we had not talked at all, so I called up uh, Chad Finn. I talked to Trenny, who actually said some very nice things. about Well, you had been on no, but you had been on you had been on my podcast before that, though. Is that right? Oh, yeah, yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Before the podcast, yeah, I take that back. The first time right. I was on the podcast, we had gone back and forth on something. I talked to Finn. And Trenny, and both said that um, the one thing that your show respects above all is just somebody who shows up, states their argument, and makes the claim. The thing that you guys hate, obviously, is not going on your show and avoiding it. So they just basically said, go on there, so you know, stay true to your beliefs, talk about what you talk about, and those guys will end up respecting you just because you showed up. That was certainly my case. With the podcast, then when I went there, you guys could not have been uh, sort of more nice, uh, Classier, you know, nicer right. to me, thoughtful, professional, absolutely. And I enjoyed it very much. And I think in your case, you guys respected the fact that I didn't just come in and yap. I actually prepped on what was going on that week in Boston sports. So even if we ended up talking about stuff that I do, I wanted the audience to at least respect the fact that hey, I did the legwork. I, you know, I've done radio. I did radio when I was much younger in Buffalo. Uh, on a daily show, so I know how hard it is, and I, I think it would have been disrespectful for your audience for me not to do reps on the Pats, and uh, I think the Red Sox were going on then. At the, uh, That's probably right. Well. So I, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was it was actually it went fast. Uh, I thought it was really good. The only thing that I wish I could have gotten into a little bit more of was uh, going back and forth with Jerry because this was before the really heated Trump season, and obviously before he won. Good, we'll bring you back. We'll do that. Um, what is your, I've seen you tweet about it, you've talked about it, you've written about it. What is your take on this EEI-ESPN? I mean, essentially, Kirk and Callahan versus ESPN war that's gone on the last few months. Well, one, I think it's great for your station because it's, it puts you in the role of the um, underdog, uh, if that is like the right term. Mm-hmm. And, and almost anybody against ESPN sort of is going to be the, the underdog versus the overdog. They're a $6 billion company. I think, and I've always stated this, whether it's Bomani Jones, whether it's uh, Charlotte Wilder, whether it's Dan Lebetard, whether it's Adam Schefter, whether it's Chris Mortensen. I think the move is to always accept an invitation on your show, talk about what you wrote, understand that you guys are going to attack. That's part of your what you do. That's part of, obviously, I think, why you're popular. And people, Boston's a parochial city. They like that. But I think if you at least sort of go toe-to-toe with you guys, I think that's the play. If you are at ESPN, and you avoid you, I think it just gives your show hours and hours of more content to attack. Now, I can tell you from talking to both ESPN talent and PR, they think your show's gone over the line. They think you're, uh, you're not fair. They don't want to put their people in um, those kind of positions. I think, that's, I think that's the wrong strategy for them. One, you're talking about people who are paid to talk professionally for a living. Two, you're talking about, at least in terms, and this is not, by the way, Schefter has gone on your station, so this is not indicative of him. Yeah, we, no, we get along great with Schefter, people, yeah. People in Adam's position or people who do reporting, every single day, just same with me. You ask people to talk to you, you ask them to be transparent. So if someone asks you to come on the air, or if someone asks you for an interview, 
I don't know how you say no when your entire profession, for the most part, is asking people to either come on your show or asking people to offer, uh, you know, comments and quotes about what story you're doing. So if I was any of those guys, I would go on. I, I understand the downside would be that uh, they they don't want to be put in a defensive position, but I, I think the better stra- – to me, I look at it almost like sort of uh, politics, and I try to look at it like how do you win the crowd. And the way to win the crowd, to me, is to sort of face you guys one-on-one or one-on-two and just let the chips fall where they may. You may – you're never going to really win, I think, on quote-unquote win on the Kirk and Callahan show because it's your arena. You guys control the mic. But if nothing else, I feel like at least if you go there, you show the the listeners in Boston that you're willing to stand behind what you wrote or what you said. Uh, well, I think it, it is, there's no doubt in my mind, though, ESPN, for some reason, it's not like they got a memo or they collectively did it, but between Jamel and between Bamani and between Israel Gutierrez and all these other things, they, they did this thing for a month or so where they kept you know implying the boss is a racist city, and they backed off on it. It's an odd strategy for a huge market. Then I read Jim Brady's piece, and it was even worse. I'm I'm just baffled by the way ESPN has decided to go about this. I, I don't understand it. And it has hurt them. ESPN's brand, obviously it started with Deflategate, all the way through this. ESPN's brand in New England is tarnished right now. There's no question. No question. I've, been, I've talked about this with Chad. We both agree. Um What's really kind of ironic, I don't know how much you know about this, but you might just because you know people in the business, the amount of people who work at ESPN who sort of are New England-based fans is incredible. They're fans of the Sox. Uh, you know, a lot of them went to the University of Connecticut, so they love the University of Connecticut. Well, I know, I know, a, lot, I know a lot that listen to our show. I get, you know, right. email. I mean, I, there's no they're doubt. Bo- right. they're bo- they're bo- they're, uh, many of them are, have such Boston ties. So it's kind of fascinating to me that over the course of whatever it's now, three years, four years, the, the I think, and I don't think this is an overstatement, I think the average Boston sports fan does not like ESPN. They hate them. I think pro- yeah. probably less of them, or, or a little less in terms of the number, don't trust them. And then you continue to go down a little bit, they'd use the word hate. It's really, it, it's it's a perplexing sort of development that's happened, I do think, the biggest catalyst, I think you would agree, is the Patriots deflate game. No question. No question. Just more, yep. It's more from there. Yeah, and then in terms of, like, listen, everybody knows that Boston has um, a turbulent racial history when it comes to its athletes and sports. But I'm with you guys on this, and I've said this in print. And, again, this is me as a white person in New York, and it's sort of it's, it's my uh, POV. And, and you have to sort of, like, I think if you're going to be fair – my POV is going to be different if, if, than a Hispanic fan or a black fan. That said, as someone who has relatives in Massachusetts, as someone who's been in Boston many, many times, just look at the people, the athletes in that city who are beloved. David Ortiz, Isaiah Thomas, Paul Pierce, Garnett. This isn't 1980 anymore when Jim Rice is sort of getting so much shit from people both you know, in the stands and elsewhere. The climate of the city has changed. Is there racism everywhere? Of course. But I think that is a unfair old tag on Boston, and I have no problem with you guys and others in the Boston media defending that. It I mean, seems – like Kevin it, Falk, you could go – Well, mean, I, I mean, you know, it's a million. You could do it right. on a race base, but you can, you can find so many Boston athletes of color – who are beloved in that town? Of it's, course, I mean, I mean, you could do it. You could do it forever. You could do Malcolm Butler's five million. My point is though, what, what are the? I mean, I'm I'm not saying the ESPN management should get together and tell these people what to say and what not to say. But is there anybody in the higher ups at ESPN who look at this and say, 
why are these people saying this? Why why are our talent branding a city that, that, that we do business in, significant business, as racist? Has anybody sat around and said, hey, maybe we should stop doing this? I don't know if the, I don't know if how I don't know if it's the only thing I believe that ESPN, in terms of a corporate strategy, has done regarding Boston and specifically your station, is that they want to avoid putting talent on your station in positions where they think their talent can be either embarrassed or putting them in a position where they get into something with you guys and the you know the the audio goes viral. A lot of times, having covered these guys now for a decade, they are reactive. They're not always proactive. They they wait to see what is happening and then react to the situation as, a P, as opposed to being proactive and to figure it out. Now, to be fair, if I'm an ESPN vice president, I'm probably thinking to myself, fuck those guys at WEI. Well, I don't forget. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, no, but no, I don't, I don't, I don't, people and, you know, I don't even I mean that. The, I'm, I, that's fine. That, that's that's fine. But, but uh, fine. I agree with you. I'm, I'm not thinking it from a Kirk and Callie perspective. I'm thinking it from... The guy who goes home every day in Haverhill and puts on ESPN at night and hates right. them. Forget us. I'm talking about those guys. Are they? Uh, is manager the ESPN ever thinking? Well, wait a minute. We have branded ourselves completely. Like like you said, trust is now an issue to New England, a significant part of. Or do they just not care. I, that's the part that I, I, that's I, the part I, that I, I don't understand. Think, I think they care. I don't think they have at the moment an immediate strategy to change that. And I, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't honestly know. What the strategy would be, except, and again, this is just me rifting off the top of my head, I would take their most trusted people who are from your area and try to put them front and center. So Mike Reese, uh, the people who cover uh, the Celtics for ESPN, Jackie McMullen, whoever has a reputation still who's Boston-based, um, that those are the people I would push forward actively to try to win back some of the fans, but I do not believe they have a strategy to do that. And I think it, in terms of your station in particular, I think it just get it, it gets into a very interesting, weird place because you guys are a you're still quote unquote an ESPN affiliate, right? Uh, we have ESPN AM. Yep, they're top forty five, okay, so top forty five in the market. They probably believe that, in terms of management, believes that. EEI is disloyal to ESPN as an ESPN affiliate. I agree with that. And then they're going to be like, "Screw them! We're not going to put our talent on." The irony of all this. Well, we're, well, we're, I, know, I mean, I, know, I mean, I, I mean, agree with me on this. Where, where, I mean, of, right? But let me, sorry, but we're not. We're not an ESPN affiliate. We have an ESPN affiliate. EI right. itself is not an ESPN affiliate. Here, here's the irony of all ahead. this, and I think we both would both agree with this. Is there any dumber strategy than to prevent your people from going on a radio station for publicity? No, no, it's, no, it's like it, it's the same thing when in in New York, Francesa for many many years, you you guys had different issues with ESPN, but the result was the same. They were basically banning talent from his show. How stupid is it, just as a PR strategy, to not put your people on the most popular show in the biggest media market in the yeah, country? Yeah, I've never, I never understood. It's, it, it doesn't it, make it, any sense for your brand because even if. The guy is going to kill you, in Francesca's case, killing ESPN, and in Boston's case, Kirk and Callahan killing you. They're still going to kill you. Right. So why would you not get the benefit of their audience by putting the people who you respect, at least at your organization, who are smart? This is why I think it's incredibly bright of Schefter to go on EEI. Because, again, this would just be my anecdotal take. I bet you if you asked 10, random 10 Patriot fans, wherever, you know, in Rentham or Plymouth mm-hmm. or wherever you find them, 
what they think of Mortensen and then what they think of Schefter. And no. I bet you 9 out of 10 or 10 out of 10 say we're okay with Schefter. Oh, we don't totally. consider him an ESPN guy. Well, here's, here's uh, Schefter's one of these guys. He, there's a reason why he's been so successful. He's a friggin' hustler. Like today, he broke the story about Garoppolo today. And we we're going to have him on the final hour. Curtis called him. Schefter answered the phone while he was on the air and said, I can't do it right now and kept going back and forth. We weren't able to get him in the final hour. He actually just went on with the midday guys, but he's willing to do that. He's a hustler. Guys like that are smart. You know, I think guys like Bamani and Jamel Hill, I feel like they don't think they have to do it, you know? Well, I, listen, I, I know both of them personally, and I know Jamel pretty well, so I'm not going to bullshit your audience here. I like her very much. Um, I, I've, gr- I've grown to have great respect for her in the business, but I like her as a person. Regardless of that, they are both at positions where they're making a shitload of money. They have long-term deals at ESPN. And they're set. They don't need to go on WEEI to push their quote-unquote brand or whatever. Do I think it would be wise of them to do it? Yeah, of course. I think in the same way um, I would recommend anybody go on any station where you could have sort of a healthy you know, a healthy debate. The only place where I, and this is just a Richard Deitch personally thing, where I wouldn't do it is I would never appear on Skip Bayless' show. I would never appear on one of the shitty FS1 debate shows because I, it just, I, I loathe kind of the con that they're putting on the audience. So that's the only thing where, and if you want to call me a hypocrite for that, fine, but I, I just, I personally find that incredibly distasteful. But as a general rule, I think you can always benefit from going on people who even have issues with your work. But in Jamel's case and in Bomani's Jones' case and others at ESPN who have long-term contracts who are making millions of dollars, they're pretty set. You know, there's, whether it's Gruden, whether it's, um, you know, Trey Wingo, Fowler, Hill, Bomani, a certain group of – they're kind of like untouchables at ESPN. They, they have more juice than, than a lot of executives, and they can kind of call their own. Why does Bomani – why is Bomani – interesting – I'm sorry, I mean, What makes it interesting with Schefter is he's in that same position, yet I think he understands the – Larger responsibility. Hey, I'm right. an information broker, and I should go on these stations. Why does for for just for example, we'll get to Jamel and Michael in a minute. Why does Bamani Jones make a lot of money, have a lot of juice? His radio show gets no ratings, and his television show gets no ratings. I don't understand it. Well, I think uh, that's not true on the highly questionable one. Oh, 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 really? They, that, yeah, that's, the that's... show. The, the, listen again. We're talking about the universe of sports television. When that show moved to ESPN, got a ratings jump. It performs well in the areas that John Skipper in particular wants. It over-indexes on a Hispanic audience. That's very important to ESPN to bring more people of color into the tent. That show, I think, over-indexed or has the most Hispanic watchers of any show. Is it like pulling, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, is it pulling like NBC primetime ratings? No. But for what it does in the afternoon, it does, I would say it does fine. It does okay. None of these shows... Anymore in 2017 are ever going to gain. They're only just going to sort of do a slow, steady drop with, with cord cutting. As for um, his radio show, you know this. This is it's just a tough one because like it's very hard to figure out like national ratings. You know this. You have to do it market by market. So in a market like Boston, yeah, Bomani Jones has absolutely zero impact. Finish 43rd. What is Bomani yeah. Jones doing in like Huntsville, Alabama, or Yakima, Washington? I'd have to check to see how. Who cares though? I mean, where's the market. where's the money in that though? There's no money in that. Well, the money is the money is as you know it's in affiliates and it's I, in, I know, but that's what I'm saying. You know, you it's, could... it's, it's saying that DSPN's um, uh, you know midday or late night show is in 400 sure uh, a market. That, but that, but, that, where, but, that, but, that, but, that, but my, but my point is that they sell that they sell the audio, the podcast. So I, I'm not 
But Bamami's not. But you can put anybody there. It's ESPN. It's not Bamami Jones. The that's brand. That's the larger. That's the again. I, I think Bamami's very talented. But I, that is the larger yeah. question: is is if you put Kirk Minahan in that spot, the with same. Yes, with ESPN's marketing, would it be the same? I, yeah, I think it would. Of course, be better. Close because I believe, like you do, that the brand. You know, this is the same reason that. Um, you know. And I don't blame like guys like Colin Coward for going to Fox and taking all that money. Fuck no. But 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 the irony, and not the irony, the reality of all this is, it's ESPN who makes you famous. It's not you who make you famous. It's been about a month now for the Michael Smith and Jamel Hill show. Six. Right. You, love, you two, you and Callahan love this show. I would ask it's you, like your favorite. You're gonna, you have it on a loop in your home. Where would you? So would you say it's shitty, incredibly shitty, or historically <laughs> shitty so far? I would say incredibly shitty. What do you? I think? don't know. If I mean, do I have, is that the only, are that yes. my three choices well, you know, you, I, I know, I know you want to pander, but there's no way you think that's a good <laughs> show. There's no way you think that's a good show. Not possible. Listen, I can't believe that you now use Callahan's lingo and phraseology with pandering. What do you, you mean? Know, I you're an, you are pandering. Original, Kirk. I'm so, I'm, I'm, well, I'm, when I'm, you sit next to somebody for 20 hours a week, some of it, some of it bleeds into your head. Um, here, I'm not even copping out on this. I don't watch almost anything at six o'clock. I have seen Jamel and Michael's show, but at six o'clock I am taking care of. Uh, my kids as an exhausted father. Make a DVR as a as a TV I professional. DVR it, and here's the thing: like, I, I think there are things on the show that are interesting that I've seen, and there are things on the show that are like, eh, they're sort of trying a little bit too hard. I saw them interview Magic Johnson, which I thought was actually yeah. I saw you tweet that out. It was all right. Yeah, all right. Listen, you got you got some interesting stuff out of Magic, which is very, yeah, it was a little rare. It was a little too ass kissy for me. Yeah. Listen, that show is not going to appeal to to everybody. It is. Two African American um, sportscasters who are unapologetic about their likes in terms of music, culture, art, politics, etc. So if you identify with a lot of what they believe, and I, I listen, everybody, anybody who follows me on uh, Twitter knows sort of politically where I stand, so I probably stand pretty close to where Jamel stands. You will find things interesting. If you're someone who just thinks they are full of shit and you don't agree with their politics or their um, sort of how they do their show, you're going to think the show sucks. So that's that's fun. I can tell you this, though, and this is this is actually interesting to me. Good. Um, I had SportsTVRatings.com, which I can't recommend enough as a site if you... Yeah, I follow into, yep. If you went to television. I had him run the numbers for um, the six since the start of their uh, run, which I think was February 6th to literally today's... today's I'm talking to you on a Wednesday. So literally to the last Friday. So basically as updated through this week. And they were only down 3% from last year, whatever was in that same time slot. It must have been Lindsay Zarniak or whatever. Was that good? In, I would say this. In 2017, if you are SportsCenter, which is a tanking brand, and if you could basically stay flat in the ratings, I think so far that's a success. It's the most promoted show in the history of mankind. That Listen, fair argument. And again, well, I'd actually say I dispute it as the most well, whatever you know what I mean. I mean, how many times you see the commercial with the all dressed up like James Harden and the one where they're dancing? I mean, I've never seen the show get this kind of promotion ever. I, it, it has been a long time since I've seen an ESPN show get that kind of promotion. I will say though, and the ratings are down, and you think that's that's a I win? Will say though that Jamel and Michael Jamel Hill and Michael Smith barely got any promotion for the first three years of their other shows. So that in a way, it's actually maybe yeah, it was made. in the middle of the day. Nobody watched it. It got zeros. He, listen, here's the thing though. There is honestly, I've said this a million times. I will say it again about. Uh, Jamel and Michael in the 6 p.m. There is honestly nothing that I think you can put anymore at 6 p.m. on ESPN within the Sports Center brand that will gain audience on the previous year. I think the world has changed. 
I agree with that. No one is, no one is going home at 6 o'clock to watch SportsCenter. And on top of that, given the crazy times we live in politically, you are most likely, if you're watching TV, going to be watching cable news or your local news to see how this impacts you. So I, I, I don't think that show has a shot to gain. And I would say if you stay flat, I personally think that's a win. Here's the other thing. Again, having talked to ESPN executives, I know how they think. You may disagree with this, but I'm telling you this mm-hmm. is what they're doing. They want to bring more people of color under the tent. Well, I get that. I have no, I have no problem with that. the demographics of the country changing. Sure. They put two prominent African-American commentators on the show. That's what they want to that, – that, they want to get more people of color watching ESPN. Whether that turns out to be a smart strategy for the long term, we will see. But that is part of the reason, on top of Jamel and Michael's talent, that they that they put them on that very high profile. See, I would, I would I would look at it and say you have it's, Jamel. It's you have, not you like have, you were sitting there last year going, "My God, Lindsey's Arniak is no, the fu- no shit, ever. no, no." But I mean, but people are acting like you know they're promoting the hell out. I'd say this: I would put Jamel and Michael, and I'd look at the landscape and say, "We're stuck with this guy for the next four, maybe eight years." Let's get a sort of a, a right winger who's got some attitude, who knows some sports as well, and we'll mix in some Trump talk as well as the other stuff, and then people maybe would start watching it even a little more because you're right. People want to watch cable television, so make it more like a cable television show. Make it more like a Fox News kind of show with Jamel Hill if you want to use her. And Michael Smith, I would bring the Trump factor in. It's crazy to ignore Donald Trump. It is insane to ignore Donald Trump if you're, if you're in this business right now. I would say that... If you in ter- if you want to extend your thought, what I am surprised at would be why haven't they taken Will Kane, who I think is uh, I don't particularly love the guy actually on air, but he's their probably most prominent uh, public conservative voice. I mean, ESPN is a lot more conservative than people think. Sage Steele, Bob Lee, but they're they're not sitting there talking politics all day. But Will Kane will do that both on his Twitter feed and on sports. So maybe the maybe their their play should be you take a Will Kane and you pit him against someone who is really left-leaning, and you see if you can create, like, a crossfire. That's what I mean. I mean, that's, that I do, seems I like think, a no-brainer. I think they are, honestly, I think ESPN, they are, because they're Disney and because they're very afraid of any kind of sort of public controversy, I don't think they honestly know how to do politics. I think they're so afraid of being called left-leaning. At the same time, I think they're so afraid of um, not being progressive and not supporting certain things. They're... They, and, and again, I think SI has the same problem a lot of times, too, is they just don't sort of know how to, you know, to me, they should either be what they are and be unapologetic about it, but you, you know, you, you sort of, to try to straddle all these different lines, I think, is uh, is tough. And I agree with you on this. They're, at, ES, at a place like ESPN, it's the same thing with SI. It's maybe a little different for EEI because it's regional and it's in Boston, but... Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can't have a business without conservative sports fans. You have to have these people. Of course, I think most sports watching. fans, most are conservative. Right. So you, so you, ESPN is in a very tricky spot because you can't alienate the guy who's in, um, you know, who's in Georgia or who's in Mississippi or who's in Texas or whatever really, you know, Nebraska, whatever really hard red-leaning state. You can't. You have to get that person to watch your network, but you do have a lot of on-air personalities who politically do not identify with that person. I think I would rather eat my own penis than watch a show with Mike Greenberg and Katie Nolan every morning on ESPN. <laughs> I'm serious. If you, if you film that, maybe we'll get <laughs> and, and, like Katie Nolan's another one. Like I understand people. I know you like her. People like her. She's fine. She's okay. But she's again somebody who's never drawn an audience in her life on television ever. Well, I, first of ever. all, ever there's a reason I have not. Um, it, I, I don't want to sort of sell out the reporter. That, let's put it this way. I, I, I might pause on any rumors about Katie Nolan going to ESPN at the moment. Oh, you're not so buying it? 
not certainly not at the moment. Okay. Got, she, her, she has she has more time on her contract, and I would say to you and your listeners of this podcast, like try to remember, like when you see a rumor like that, think of who that rumor benefits or who it doesn't, why it's out there, what where Ooh, where less, they, a lesson what, in what journalism. Here we go. Going to. So uh, again, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I don't, I don't doubt at all that ESPN um, would be interested in Katie Nolan if she became a free agent. But I, I think we're we're way ahead of ourselves there. And it's not even the anti, it's not even really an anti Katie Nolan thing. She's I don't, I, she's she's fine. Mike Greenberg though, he's another guy. You're gonna give him the keys to the car and give him a morning show every day on ESPN. Very, I'll, I'll, I'll be very honest with you, as I wrote in print. Um, I think Mike Greenberg, as a sort of functional broadcaster, is talented. I think he can bring you in and out of a show. I think there is, um, and I say this about you and Jerry, whether I disagree with uh, Jerry on a lot of stuff or not, you, you have, there, there's a real art and talent to being on air for 15-plus years, being able to draw an audience, sort of doing that grind, because it can be mentally exhausting. And you've got to give Mike Greenberg credit for that. All that said, I think ESPN is out of their mind if they think a Mike Greenberg-fronted show can somehow be revolutionary in 2017, not only against what is going to happen on sports-specific shows, like what the NFL Network has, like what FS1 is going to bring, like what NBC Sports has, but Mike Greenberg is going to go against Good Morning America, Today, CBS Early Show, CNN New Day, Fox and Friends. I I don't see it. Scarborough? Right. You're right. Scarborough, Morning Joe. No disrespect to Mike Greenberg, but I just I don't see there being some kind of wave of people who all of a sudden are like Mike Greenberg has his own Sports Center Good Morning America show. I have to tune in every day to hear what Mike says. Who, who's yeah. ESPN competing against? Is I mean they're really I, paying I, him I, six I, million I, a year? Is that really yeah, true? I, well, he's yes, that is oh, true. Don't uh, tell Jim me Miller that. reported don't that. Mike Greenberg has got a great agent in CAA, a guy who, uh, uh, a guy named Nick Kahn, who has 50, 60, 70 clients. He's one of the, I mean, he's really the top dog when it comes to sports media. He knows the market. He's incredibly smart. And he was able to get Greenberg a shitload of money. Good I think job. part of the reason why Greenberg got that was the timing of it was good. His contract was up. He had some leverage. Uh, because they don't, you know, they didn't want to get rid of Mike and Mike so quick. It makes them a lot of money, given how many affiliates it's on. And I think he, um, I think Greenberg was telling them, and they think a lot of Greenberg that, hey, listen, you know, you, I'm tired of sort of doing the same thing. You guys told me we were going to move to New York. We we're going to move Mike and Mike to New York. It was going to become part of GMA. ESPN blew that up uh, after announcing it at a a, a big uh, oh right, uh, right, 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 yeah, media yeah, yeah. day. So my guess is that I think Greenberg was able to use the leverage, although I would love to know where he was threatening to go. FS1? I mean, where's he going to go? Yeah, I don't know. That, honestly, that's the one thing about that. FAN? I don't I mean, know. I don't know where he could have. I don't know what the, you know, the, you, what you try to do is you try to create a market. This is where FS1 has made a shitload of right. ESPNers money. You create a market to say, uh, you know, our guy is being courted by this place. If you want him, you got to keep him. So they must have figured out a way to sort of, convince ESPN that there was a market for Greenberg, and that's why he got that kind of salary. The one thing I would just tell your listeners is you're not paying a guy that kind of money to stay on Mike and Mike. So I, he is going to do something uh, different, and he's going to do something on ESPN that they're going to put a lot of money behind. I, I think in, from everything that I've sort of been told, it's some kind of show in New York that combines sports center elements, that brings in celebrities, that has a tie with GMA, you know, that all well sounds great on a piece of paper, but if you step back as a programmer 
And like we just talked about, you look at the landscape of who he has to compete against, I, I think he's done. I cannot see how that show somehow draws audience. Here's what I don't get. That you know, ESPN is is struggling. Well, you know, for the in their world, they're they're losing viewers, right, and their yep. so, their their solution is let's move a show that does, doesn't do well here here. Let's move a guy who's not doing that well here. It seems like they're just moving parts around. Like there's no big star who is broken out, and they've said let's put this guy over here. You know, it, it seems it seems strange to me. It's like they're just reassembling. Well, their strategy, at least in terms of the studio stuff, is to do these sports center style personality. No, shows. forget that. That's awful. Scott Van Pelt. Oh, Jim Van Pelt's Allen, okay. Michael. But when I when I see friggin' Neil Everett, I'm like, this just this is not working. This this. I'm, this I'm, I'm telling you, that's what their whether it works or not. That is their strategy. But their larger strategy is always the same. Get as much live sports rights as possible. I get that. So that ESPN must be. Here's the thing: if you're if you are a fan in Boston who really despises and dislikes ESPN, but you are college football and college basketball, oh, they get you by the balls. The NBA, right. You have to watch them. Of course. That's in the end. Whatever whatever anybody says that pitches you off. In the end, if if you are a diehard fan who has to watch college football or the NBA, you have to Yeah, get I'm, I'm watching the Masters. The I'm, I'm watching the Masters Thursday and Friday right. on ESPN. That's, that's, so in the end, that's why they the, – but the big question is, can they keep affording to pay those massive rights as they are hemorrhaging subscribers? And then secondly, are they eventually going to get to the point where they have to market directly to consumers where it's something like, you know, we're going to give you everything that ESPN does for 60 a month and forget about uh, Comcast and forget about Spectrum in New York right. and forget about Cox. I don't know where that business is going, but something big eventually is going to happen because I think, Kirk, you know this. If you talk to any kid essentially under 25, they don't have nope. – like the idea of them getting a cable subscription, they look at you like your head is cut off. True. I'm not buying cable, and if I need cable, right. I steal from my parents. They look at me like I'm 100 because I have movie packages. They're like, well, what are you talking about? You, right. you yeah, what? Look at, yeah, you talk to any – you know, the, the kids that I talk to at the school I teach at, like you look at them – you know, I talk to you guys. Do you guys have cable? They're like, what? No. And I, right. I mean, we watch it through a computer. It's the same thing you ask somebody like today who's under 30. Do you subscribe to a paper? They're like, right. what? Like, are you from Russia? What are you talking about? Like, it just that's just not the, the consumption anymore. But, you know, this is the thing with FS1 and NBC and CBS and ESPN. They believe, and they're probably right about this, they'll always have an audience if they own the sports rights. If, you know, whoever owns the Red Sox uh, in terms of the TV rights, there are always going to be people watching because you True. love the Red Sox. The only way you can get your team. I feel like there's going to be a great book written in like 10 years about how badly FS1 was put together and botched. It's unbelievable to me. I feel like they haven't made a good move yet. When I keep, when I, oh, just The one thing I would say about them is just keep in mind that it's they're owned by Fox. And I understand. Like News Corp. They, can lose, they can lose money for like a decade and it's, it's like a write-off. It, I, 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 I agree with you. I don't understand the current strategy. I've said it many times. I don't think you can do argument television from six to six but you know fox would fox would sort of say they're not wrong about this you know people are going to watch us because we have baseball and because we have the big 12 and you know we're you have to have us if you want um the world cup and stuff so again it's the same thing the, the stuff with bayless and coward that's that's all basically a write-off for them around the large sports play. That's, how, that's what how many years is this? How many years is this FS1 been around? Like how three, many? three, August of twenty thirteen. If I ask, uh, I'm talking listeners, listeners to our show who are hardcore sports fans. If we did a segment tomorrow, right? People calling. We took twenty calls, and I said to them, "What channel is FS1 on your kid?" They wouldn't know. I, I was UCLA's playing Washington the basketball. I think it's tonight or tomorrow night. And there's two guys who the Celtics are obviously looking at. And I thought I want to DVR this at least watch it. I bet, you know, I'm into everything. 
I didn't remember what Channel FS1 was on my. They, they have not made that impact. They have not landed at all. And I, you're right. I, they I, probably. They, it probably doesn't matter, but it's just interesting to me. I, it's. Uh, they have, in my opinion, anecdotally, they have not made any kind of inroads, especially on the East Coast. I, I don't. It's never like on bars. It's never on TV at bars, and, and when you go and to eat or not in New York. I imagine the same in Boston, and yeah. I think they. You can extend their brand. I mean, and again, I, I'm going to stick to my city, and you stick to your city. Have you ever talked to anybody like who has any kind of take on Fox Sports Radio? Like, oh I, God, never God, God, no, anyone no, in New no, York? No. So it just feels like that. Now, Fox News in New York, interesting Huge. enough, liberal city, right. they, they absolutely have impact. But I agree with you. It, outside of, you know, when the Cubs had their run on FS1 and a couple of other sort of programs of note, I, it doesn't feel like it's impactful. But I think part of that is just because ESPN is such a de facto background at restaurants and bars and airports and places like that. I think it's just really hard to change consumers' behavior. Where do you what do you think of Bill Simmons right now? Where he's at? You know, I, I like Simmons. I get along pretty well with him, but I feel like he's sort of, you know, in the weeds right now. He's in the first time in like ten or fifteen years. He doesn't feel relevant anymore. Well, I think he. I think the the HBO thing probably spooked him more than he'd ever let on because you know there's a lot of money behind it, a lot of advertising. I remember walking in uh, Midtown New York and seeing Bill on a gigantic HBO billboard. I was like, holy shit! Like they were really putting serious money behind this, and I think. Um, I think he was surprised at the, the that the numbers were not there. The show was not good. I think he would be honest about that. There's other things around him that were uh, that he could not control. I thought the, the day the show was on was just idiotic. You don't do a show like that in the middle of the week. I think. He, yeah, but you could put you could put that show on any time. That that show wasn't going to work. That show, yeah, I think that he needs. Work. I think he needs like he needed someone to play off of in the way he played off with Jalen Rose. I mean, I think that's just he's not a natural TV host. I think he would admit that. So, yeah, I think the sh- I think that show sort of spooked him. But I kind of, interestingly enough, I look at it a little differently. I like the fact that he's now, um, he's now sort of back in really deep with the ringer and to writing more and to sort of try to make that site feel more relevant because I think that's going to be an important thing for the ringer, which really needs his, um, you know, his name. I mean, it's, it doesn't really have many name writers outside of Bill, Brian Curtis, and the. And a, and, a, and a couple of other people. I think his podcast network is still incredibly oh, well it's done. huge, yeah. Very successful. Those guys are at the forefront of podcasting. And I think Bill, if he's smart, and I think he's very smart, I think he's going to pick and choose his spots now when it comes to TV. I thought being behind this Andre the Giant doc is going to be phenomenal. That's one, that's a can't-miss documentary to me in terms of just it's going to be critically praised and it, it's going to draw a shitload of viewers because Andre, because wrestling always does, and Andre is a fascinating figure in that world. And I think if I was Bill, I think I would just sort of try to figure out where can I sort of get back either on television or video where I'm not the number one guy and I can sort of just be an ensemble player and make some really interesting comments as an ensemble player. I feel like that's the, you know, if you're, I look at it like if you're a leading man in a film or a leading woman in a film, you do a film, it bombs. I always feel like the next great move is to just take a character role, like be the number five person on a best picture type of film. And that's what I would do if I was Simmons. I don't know what that will be, but that's the play. Regardless of all this, Kirk, as you know, it doesn't. Bill has had an incredible career, oh, once in a lifetime career, unbelievable he's, run. He's richer than yes. any of us will ever imagine, and so he's already won. Now, it's oh, no doubt, but, but, but I know, but I, but I know he's he's a competitive guy. So I know, Absolutely. you know, I know that, and, and you're probably right. He's probably enjoying it. It's funny you mentioned the Andre the Giant thing. 
So I'm I'm sure you're like me. When if I have a podcast that's doing well, I'll, I'll look at the iTunes rankings, you know, a lot. And if I happen to move up in like the top thirty or top thank you, twenty, thank you, Ryan Rossillo, yeah, uh, yes, Eric right, Dini for moving me right, up. Right. Well, yeah, but that's that. Well, that's the other thing is if you do bar I me, mean, I was number one when I had Portnoy on. I had Feilerberg exactly. on. I was like four. But so if I'm in the top twenty or top thirty, I will look and inevitably. I'm not kidding. You know, sixteen out of the top twenty-five sometimes are wrestling podcasts. Amazing. The uh, I, I just did a podcast the other day with Conrad Thompson who hosts uh, two of those, uh, including the Bruce Pritchard one that right. both of us really love. I, I, to me, that's that and the Richard Simmons podcast, I think, are the two best podcasts. I haven't listened to this. I, I just downloaded that Richard Simmons one. So it's you just, got it. So it's, it's, so it's about, like, this – because Richard Simmons is, like, gone from society, right? It's about, basically, these guys who worked out at Richard's club in L.A. who knew him for a decade. He's a, This guy's a filmmaker. And he just – Richard just disappeared. And it's right. sort of their search – to find the reason as to why he disappeared. They talked to all his friends and people. It's fascinating. It's like, uh, uh, it, I, I don't want to ruin it for you or anybody listening. It's unbelievable. It's just a fascinating sort of journey on a podcast. It's almost serial-like with a, obviously, like, not a murder topic. So do you feel like, do you feel like podcasts, do you feel like you can make money? You can make a living right now doing a podcast? I mean, you. I think if you're Bruce Pritchard, I'm sorry, if, if you're Conrad Thompson, you can. It's one of the things I asked him on the podcast. I'm like, can you... You know, he told me like what his numbers are, and you know, made me cry almost. I'm sure they're so millions. Right, I mean, right. He's like seven hundred thousand downloads for some of these wrestling podcasts. So I'm like, holy shit! Like, can you? Could you make a living on this? He said, if he, you know, he has a mortgage business in Alabama, which clearly is doing well, so he's not going to give that up. But he said that two, if he wanted to go for podcasting full time, it would be enough to support two people full time for a nice six figure salary. So I think you can. I think you have to have the right clearly have to have the right content. I think if Simmons was just a podcaster, he'd be close to a millionaire without doing anything else, just based on his network and the ads. I, I Like you, I believe in the space. I think it's only going to grow. I think it um, it appeals to young people. It's portable. Um, it's like niche, so they can sort of listen to what they want. I hope Sports Illustrated sort of figures out how to make I'm certainly not making any personal money on my podcast, but I like the potential of it, it seems I like SI. Your, yours is got. See, like you said, like niche is niche is the key word. Like I if, agree. You, if you have, like I feel like SI. Other than you, and maybe you can correct me on this. I feel like SI has not figured it out yet. No, I agree with you. I mean, maybe Peter King, just because of sheer. Oh, that's true. Yeah, but he just started. Yeah, but who he can bring on. But yeah, the the the. Re- I, and again, I think the reason, if anything, as to why my podcast is. You know, sort of been in the top hundred and top fifty a lot is because I'm just doing content no one else is doing. The if you're going to do content everybody is doing, honestly, I feel like you then have to be part of ESPN or Fox, which has this gigantic million dollar distribution where you know you can people know who Colin Coward is. So even if the content of that show that day sucks, right, it has a volume, yeah, yeah, there's a volume place. Two hundred thousand people are still going to download it. That's the that's the great thing about being an ESPN. But you are, you know, you're one of the biggest stations in Boston. So I think just by sheer audience alone, your podcast should always draw pretty good numbers if you have a if you have a decent guest. Well, we have a your bo- podcast, the tricky thing to me would be, right. do you stick to Boston only or do you try to expand? No, I, I don't. And then if you I don't at all, out, who yeah. do you expand to? No, I, I have on who I want to have. I've decided I'm going to have on who I want to have on. If it's you one week and then the next week it's David Duchovny and then it's Lenny Dykstra right. or Bart Hubbock, it's, it's more about sort of, I think the conversations I'm going to have because it's it doesn't I could do Boston stuff all day it doesn't really appeal you know I do it all day anyway. Well, I would say this: the only time if I was your if I was your Chris Curtis, the only thing I would say about your podcast is I would I would do a Boston person if they are in the news 
nationally because I think then you have a shot sure. at getting them maybe right. before anybody. So, I mean, I, I just this is not the greatest example, but if the Barstool guys get the Comedy Central gig and you have Portnoy on that week, that's that's a, that's a great get. Sure, that's gonna well, that's you. gonna fly. Or if Isaiah Thomas. Uh, that week says, you know, fuck LeBron, I'm the best player in the world. Like right. that. And if you got Isaiah, obviously, that's going to appeal far outside of Boston. The Barstool thing, though, is the, the loyalty of Barstool is unbelievable. Incredible. It's, 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 it. I don't, I don't, I mean, I like, um, we get along well with Portnoy, you know, he's been on the show a lot. I've talked to him a lot, you know, and I think he's a funny guy, but I don't think he's as funny or Barstool's as great. I, I, it's the, the love for it is unbelievable. I would say this about Barstool. I think inevitably when you get money like they did with the Churning Group and when you professionalize it like you did by hiring uh, a CEO like Erica Nardini, who I think is awesome. I mean, I, she was on yeah, I heard podcast. that podcast. I talked yeah. to her. She, she is super smart. I honestly wish SI hired her, to be very blunt. Um, I think you're going to be a different brand because you're now more professional. You can't be, you know, you, just, you can't sort of, I mean, I, I think they push the envelope, but I think you would agree seeing them far up close than I have. They're a different kind of brand. They've, they've nationalized themselves more, which I think is the smart play long-term. But you're always going to – it's like Howard Stern a little bit in that you're always going to lose a little bit of that indie street cred. No question. Um, when you get famous. The thing about Barstool, which is amazing, is they haven't lost much of it. No. Like, their fans are still blind loyal, and a lot of those fans have to be now in their early 30s who were with them at the beginning. I have not seen it. I have not seen well, – Portnoy, I, I, Portnoy. I have not seen loyalty to a brand like that. In the sports media, I'm trying to think. I don't think ever. I, I mean, honestly. maybe ever. Maybe ESPN at the beginning when people were so into like ESPN in the '80s with the Patrick Obermeyer. But other right. than that, I can't see it. Well, Portnoy, I had Portnoy in the first one, and we've talked about. It, and is the average age of people who consume it hasn't changed in 15 years, so it's still like 21 or 22, which is they've flipped over to that like third generation, that's, that's which, is, which is which is impo- It's actually impossible. That's very stern-like, at least yeah, like true. The, thir- the thirty-year thing. I think the barstool fan sees them as like. Here, this is my take on them. I think the barstool fan sees them as authentic in a world where you do have a lot of people, particularly some people on ESPN or FS1, who are totally full of shit. Yeah, uh, I mean that's the thing. Now, do I think some of what barstool does sucks? Yes, uh, I'd be the first to say it. I don't agree with everything they do, but I think they are authentic to who they are. And I have an immense amount of respect for them. I also think they made some incredibly brilliant moves by, like, bringing in PST Commenter and letting people like him and Big Cat sort of develop their own sub-brands, right. which has just, like, blown up. The fact that those guys, and I know this pisses ESPN and Fox off, and I personally love it, the fact that those guys have been the number one <laughs> podcast in sports and iTunes for, like, six months is incredible. I mean, for, I understand Barstool is now a big brand and they have money, blah, blah, blah. Those guys basically did it from zero. They went from zero to, to, to like being the number one sports and iTunes podcast without anything close to the promotion that Simmons and the ESPN people and the Fox Sports 1 people get. That's incredible. That is just sheer loyalty and sheer entertainment. So there's a part of me, because I like rooting for the underdog, that really um, – Really is impressed by what they what they do and what they've done, and I think if they still if they maintain sort of that authenticity and don't I don't even want to say like sell out, but don't like over professionalize too much, I think they're in good state. So here's the last thing I do. I, I've told this to my Sports Illustrated bosses; they never listen to me, but whatever. Um, the thing about Barstool, like 
whenever you watch them on video, uh, it never looks like overly professional. No, or produced, it's very right? casual. Very which casual. Which is genius. Smart. Where at a place like mine, too often, you're trying to duplicate ESPN, which I think is the dumbest move ever because I think the audience looks at that as like... This is bullshit. Yeah, right. Yep. You guys are like, you're too... You're, you're trying to be like the perfect looking studio show. Just uh, If it were me, I'd love to just have me and other and my colleagues just shooting the shit, letting, letting us curse. And just letting us talk about sports, I feel like that would be far more interesting. My pitch and sitting behind a desk and uh, you know, being like, uh, "Well, you know, I wonder who the Celtics right. are going to like trade uh, during the trade deadline." You know what I mean? Well, I, my I, original pitch for for a podcast was just Jerry and I after our show in our office with our feet up when we talk for ten or fifteen minutes and just shit on everything. That would be would be would be an honest right. podcast, right? And that's you know, and it's you know, unfortunately. Although I like you being solo because I mean, we can only take so much account. I agree with that. I'll let you go with this. What's going to be the biggest sports media story of 2017? What what aren't we talking about? What's the big one that's bubbling right now? That's a good I mean, obviously a lot of the sports stories that you should watch are going to be like uh where we just show it like YouTube television, like what are these other players away from traditional? Will net will Netflix get into it? I think I think they'll all get into it. It'd be yeah. just a question of like where you purchase your quote unquote Television, but I'll give you one that's that's a rather obvious one because I think that your listeners can relate to this. Come 2017 September, what will happen with the NFL's ratings? Was last year just an aberration because of Trump and politics, or will the ratings for the NFL be down again? And then you have to start to think to yourself: Has something fundamentally shifted with the game? It's always going to be the most popular game in the country, but have they lost like viewers? And if so, why? Are the games too long? Uh, has the league done something with the play of the games, refereeing and stuff? Is it? Uh, I don't think it's Kaepernick or any of that other bullshit. Not like, either. Then you got to think about like, what is it? Is it the fact that the, there's too many national windows and not enough great teams? Does the quarterback play suck outside of a couple quarterbacks? That that's the one I'm going to be looking to is. Um, and when I talk to Orand and other people who cover the stuff like I do, we're really interested in like October 15th, 2017. You'll have like six weeks of NFL data. Will the ratings be up, or will they once again be down? And if so, what does it mean if they're down? And does that mean something larger for the rest of the sports on TV? Because the, how goes the NFL usually goes everything else. You know, NASCAR's down, college basketball's down, and that would be the question. Is like, are, it has something fundamentally changed with sports viewers in that they're no longer watching this stuff in droves on TV. That, that, that's probably the story I'll be looking for. Yeah, I, think it's, I think the NFL has peaked and starting to slowly go down. The other one I'll watch, it's not a massive story, but uh, uh, NBC has a Super Bowl next year, right? Uh, let me see here. Fox had it this year. CB- yes. My prediction is that will be Michaels will say that's his last game, and Tariko Tariko will take over. Tariko will get the keys to all, all of it, all of it soon enough. That's that, my well, prediction. Interesting you say that because Tariko at that time will be in South Korea. Because the Super Bowl uh, is, five, I think it's during the Winter three, Olympics. Five days away from the Winter Olympics, Tariko just got the call to replace Costas. Costas, yeah. So he won't even be in country. So that'd be pretty fascinating if Al made that um, announcement. Because Mike wouldn't be there. I would almost think that maybe Mike, they would, if that's going to happen, they would want Mike and Al. Tariko to can, uh, you the know, way they had Tariko and Costas. I think Al would. Uh, this may be Al's last Super Bowl, but I think Al's going to go past twenty. Uh, seventeen, eighteen. I think he's got two or three years left. I if, think uh, knowing, if, if, knowing, if, knowing Al a little bit. One, first of all, he's still at the top of his game. He's great. And two, Al loves to be kind of like. I think I think one of his nicknames is like Five Star Al. He's like a guy who loves to be um, in great hotels. He loves taking the limo to the game. Right. He loves the game itself. I don't think he's gonna 
give that up so quick. I think he's going to – I think we got two or three more years. And we're, sure, uh, we're, we're sure Tariko's keeping his mitts off all the women around NBC? He's good? As, 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 far, as far as I understand. I didn't hear that. I, I didn't hear that. that, that, that Tariko in his 20s, I, he – I have never heard a single thing after that. That subject was not broached in the Richard Deitch Tirico podcast. That was it was to. not, admittedly. Yeah, I think there's a. I mean, I mean, listen, you want to call me a hypocrite on that? I guess you can. I feel like that, that sort of that 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 has been sort of gone over again. I will say this: a guest for you, if you want, yeah, who never gets sort of on national podcasts, Mike Freeman of Bleacher Report and, yeah, and many it, other papers. Right, he's the guy who wrote that book. Which which talked about the ESPN book, yeah, the ESPN book, which talked about what went down with Tarico or what didn't go down with Tarico in terms of human resources and stuff. Mike Freeman has some incredible stories about e- this is way back in the nineties now about ES or maybe early two thousand about ESPN PR having an active campaign to try to shut that book down. So if you want to sort of talk to somebody who really has some interesting ESPN kind of heavy handed stories, I would recommend Mike Freeman. As a guest, not to mention the fact that I think he's a good football guy who could give you some interesting stories about the league. All right, Richard. As always, uh, thank you. We'll have you back on the show soon. Uh, what's coming up? We, did not fight. we didn't fight at all. This we never. Guy. We don't really. You're not. You know. You're. You're, you're too. You're like a nice guy, though. You know. I feel like I'm, I feel like I haven't given your listeners enough Dykstra, Lenny Dykstra. Or That's true. Uh, what's who's coming up next? Let me guess. Let me think. Who's coming up next on the podcast? I'm gonna say an Iranian uh, swimmer, maybe who. <laughs> Who's up next? I need a translator for that. Yeah, is it going to be? Here, here, my next guest is Jim Trotter, ESPNer. But we yeah. talked a lot about it. You like this? The guy from San Diego. San Diego. We talked yeah. a lot about the bullshit of the NFL Hall of Fame voting and how those guys never make their vote transparent. That is weak. And how we never find out anything about what goes on in that room. And on top of the fact that how bullshit is it? Whether you liked him or not. How much bullshit is it that Terrell Owens is not in the Hall of I mean, like It's strange. Wouldn't that be the best? I've always said this. That'd be the best thing NFL Network could program is if they put a camera in there all day and broke, and broke it down in like a, a three-part show. Why not? Trotter, one, Trotter would agree with you, and two, oh, this is the last thing I'll leave you with, because yeah. I think both of us agree. Everybody, and this, by the way, includes my colleague Peter King, who I love. Yeah, he's very, he's every, pretty every, transparent every, about it, yeah. Everyone in that room, every single day, asks NFL players to be transparent and honest answering their questions. Yet, those guys do not make their Hall of Fame vote public and why they voted it's, for who. It's weak. It is weak. It's so weak. I mean, just stand by your if – you, if, you, if you hate Terrell Owens because he was an asshole to you, like, I may think that's a lame reason not to vote for him, but at least I can respect it. That's, you're being honest with it. There's – you know, the Jeff Blair, who's a, who I know is a Toronto baseball guy, uh, yeah. covered Hall of Fame voter, he's very honest by saying, I didn't vote for this person because I think he's an asshole. Now, you may think that's – a ridiculous way to approach it, but at least you can respect the guy. He's telling you, I'm not voting for this guy because I thought he was a dick to me. At least you can respect the transparency of his answer. All right, go listen to the Deitch's podcast. Go look it up. Subscribe to it. I subscribe to it. It's very good. He has, uh, he's got Trotter on, and I think the week after that, he has that transgender Texas wrestler on. I'm going to be a, doing a, a WNBA reporter panel. Good. For you. Are you actually going to do one or no? No. You, you must have done one in rating. the past. I love the WNBA, Kirk, but I need ratings. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Richard. Thanks, Kirk. All right. Thanks again for listening to the Enough About Me podcast. Actually, you know what? I'm really not thankful at all. You should be thanking me. You get this shit every week, these great podcasts, totally free. Do me a favor. Would you go to iTunes, download it, go to Stitcher, do the same, and leave a rating, leave a review. That's where you can help me out. This podcast is going to be number one again. I guarantee it. And you're going to help me along with the process. So for that, I guess at the end, maybe I will thank you. There's a lot of thank yous going back and forth. Here's the point. Fuck you. Okay. Picture this. 
It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.